What's up, guys? Inside another episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu. You can follow me on Twitter at Rosvoglu Report. Now, the Saints once again under Teddy Bridgewater, another upset victory. Totally different from last week with the way they played. It was an ugly affair. It was actually a you know a reverse role for the Saints, where last year at Dallas, they got their asses handed to them uh, and were beat up pretty good in terms of a physicality standpoint. And this time around, it was the Saints who were more physical in the line of scrimmage. They ran the ball better, and the defensive line was great as the game went on. I'll talk about that later in the show. But overall, it's a great feeling for the Saints team because without Drew, you win two games in a row against two NFC competitors um, who both have the same record as the Saints. I should add that in. So you have a 3-1 and team. There's only one team in the NFC with a better record than the Saints, and right now that's the 49ers, but they're 3-0. and They didn't play four games yet, so that could actually change by next week. And also the Saints play the Niners later in the year, so it's not like they're going they're not going to get a chance to show that they're a better football team. Um, but that's all the way down in the second half of the year. We're talking about right now with this Saints team and what they've been able to do. Um, and I get it. And uh, The Saints have not been explosive. There were barely any plays of over 10 yards last night for that offense. It wasn't... Um, what we're accustomed to watching drew throw the ball down the field and get the offense clicking. But guess what? A win is a win. It doesn't matter if you win by two. doesn't matter if you win by 20, it all goes down in the record column. The same it's a win. And the saints are three and one. Now they're a game up in the division through four games. And that's without drew Brees. Um, you can make a case that their toughest schedule or toughest quarter of the season was the first quarter because not only do Sean Payton teams start off slow, but look who they had to face. A Texans team that was 11-5 last year. A Rams team that made the Super Bowl last year. A Seahawks team that was also a playoff caliber team, made the playoffs last year under Russell Wilson. And the Cowboys, who won the NFC East last year, beat the Saints um, in 2018, and they also made the NFC Divisional Round. So you've played four straight playoff teams. And you managed to go 3-1 and one in that stretch. Mind you, your starting quarterbacks only played one of those games in its entirety. That's pretty good. And from a historical context, the Saints always play their best football in October and November. So if they can continue to keep that, if they could keep that stretch going, we're looking at a playoff team. And I always said, and I said it on the first episode here uh, on the podcast, if the Saints can go 3-1, and one, in the first four games, they're a playoff team. Now, still a long way to go. Injuries happen. I understand that. But right now, this team is a playoff team. Uh, and we'll see if they can continue and uh, build off this momentum from this Cowboys win. Now, let's get into it and talk about what went right for the Saints against the Cowboys. And there was a lot that went right. I mean, you could talk about the defensive line playing well. You could talk about the running game getting it going. The secondary playing well. And I'll talk about every single aspect there. But for me... 
the biggest difference maker was the defensive line of the Saints. Because we all know Ezekiel Elliott got paid six-year, $90 million. We all know Ezekiel Elliott last year was doing, you know, he's taunting with, you know, he's let him eat and all that. He didn't eat on Sunday. He didn't eat anything. He basically got shut down. If it wasn't for a touchdown and it was really, you know, a goal line just kept hammering up the middle, he was bound to score type of touchdown. He did nothing, was a non-factor, 18 carries for 35 yards. It's an average of 1.9 yards per carry. That's not what the Cowboys are paying him for. Well, he also is a good receiver. Well, I mean, he had six catches for 30 yards. So, yeah, six catches is good, but every catch, if it's for five yards, means Dak had no options and he had to dump it off. And every time he dumped it off, Klein was there to make a play or Demario Davis was there to make a play. The Saints did not let Zeke affect the outcome of this game. If anything, they completely neutralized him. Um, better than any other team has this season, better than any other team might do actually this entire season. We know how good the Saints run defense is. We've talked about it for the last two years. They don't give up on a 100-yard rusher. Well, if you told me they're going to hold Zeke to 35 yards, I'll tell you no. Now, I would take the under 100 yards, but 35 is something else. I mean, if they gave up 35 yards to, you know, let's say Carlos Hyde week one, which they didn't, that would be like, all right, I expect it. But 35 yards to Zeke is really impressive. Um, and they really, you know, took him out of the game. He was a non-factor. And we know for a fact when Dak Prescott doesn't have Zeke, he's not the best of quarterbacks. He's still a good quarterback. He still deserves his money. But he's not a Patrick Mahomes, per se, where you could take out a lot of the factors and he's still going to make plays when it matters most. So the Saints D-line, got to give them credit. Now, in terms of sacks, yeah, they only got Dak Prescott down once. But got him down in the most important part of the game in the fourth quarter on the last drive David Onyemata gets through on a stunt and gets the sack and Onyemata has been probably the the unsung hero of the Saints defensive line I know Cameron Jordan's fantastic Davenport continues to get better and fans are catching on to that so that's good um but what David Onyemata is able to do uh from the inside the outside no matter where you line him up doesn't matter if you want to stun play or just have him straight up bull rush the interior offensive line he gets to the quarterback pretty well and Anyamata is a guy who the Saints might want to consider keeping around for the long haul because he continues to make plays um, for the defensive line. So I loved what I saw out of him as well. Um, now, let's move it over to the last drive and what happened for that Saints defense. Dennis Allen gets a lot of crap. I mean, fans are always after him. We complain you know, about what type of coverage he's running, all that. And sometimes it's well warranted. For example... When the Saints gave up that touchdown to, you know, uh, Kenny Stills, it was week one against the Houston Texans. We're all like, dude, what the hell is Dennis Allen doing? Like, he's not running the defense well. How about last night? Because I said last week, I thought Dennis Allen had one of his best, if not his best game uh, against the Seahawks in terms of calling the defense. And now, the you know, the numbers will show you that the Seahawks scored 28 points, but 12 of them were garbage time. So does it really matter? I don't really care about, you know, giving up garbage time points. But... Looking at what he did this week, it was his best game because Amari Cooper shut down, and I'll talk about what Marshawn Lattimore was doing in the second half of this episode. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, like I said, shut down. And then he got two forced fumbles and also the most important play of the game, the last one. So Dallas gets into Hail Mary range, let's call it, um, around midfield. Now, I don't know if Dak really was going to reach the end zone anyway. Excuse me, he doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, but the Saints didn't even give him a chance to throw it into the end zone. And 
a lot of teams on Hail Marys like to sit back, just you know, rush three guys and let everyone come back. But the issue with that is when you're only rushing three, a mobile quarterback like Dak Prescott can just get out to the outside, run out of the pocket, buy some time, and make a nice strike down the field, kind of like Doug Flutie back then with that famous play. Um, so I don't know if really that's what you want to do. What the Saints did was the complete opposite. They're saying we're going to send pressure, and we honestly – you know, we're going to make sure Dak has to throw this ball before his receivers are even down the field and before he even has a chance to set and fire a strike that can reach the end zone. So not only to send a couple of their defensive linemen, you got Klein blitzing, and then you got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson on a, you know, a cornerback, slot corner blitz getting through. He gives an absolute lick on Dak Prescott, and Dak reaches the ball around the 10-yard line. So even if it was caught, let's say, you'd still have a chance to tackle the guy, and by then the game's already over. Luckily for the Saints... Marcus Williams picks it off. That's the game. And I just can't believe Dennis Allen, who we've criticized a lot, decided to stick to his guns and said, you know what? We're going to send some pressure here. And if they don't send pressure, we're all going to be sitting back watching a ball float into the end zone. We got to hope that it gets knocked down. Whereas they sent the the pressure and Dak had no chance. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson lit him up. That throw was not getting anywhere close to the end zone. And the Saints DBs played it excellent. So, Tip my cap to Dennis Allen, what he was able to do um, with that defensive call at the end of the game to really set the Saints up for a victory. And without that call, who knows what happens um, in that one. Now, my last topic I want to get to before we go into the break is the way the Saints ran the football. I know the numbers aren't that impressive, and you'll look at it and be like, ah, Kamar only had 69 yards, Taysom Hill had 16, Murray had 14. No, the Saints ran the ball pretty effectively against one of the better defenses, maybe Outside of Chicago, the best defense they're going to face this year. I think that's the way we'll rank it. Chicago has the best defense they'll they'll face. But then you look at what um, Dallas does. And Dallas, man, they move. They can move. And I think what separates Dallas from Chicago, let's say, and I know Chicago um, is the better statistical defense. Chicago doesn't have two linebackers that can move with Kamara the way Dallas does. I know Roquan Smith is coming into his own with Chicago, but... Dallas has Jalen Smith and Leighton Mandrash, who are both fantastic, are both speed linebackers who can get out in space and move laterally from side to side and keep up with an elite tailback like Alvin Kamara. The Bears don't have that yet. Danny Trevathan's good, but Danny Trevathan, out of the, if I'm ranking all four linebackers, he's last. It would be probably Jalen Smith, then Vanderesh, then Roquan Smith, then Danny Trevathan. So the Bears, when the Saints get down to that road, and we'll cross that bridge when we get there, should have more success with Kamara than they do against Dallas. That said, they were still able to use Kamara in a good way. I mean, you know, you gave him 17 carries for 69 yards. You gave him three catches for 20 yards. They used him more than enough. And Dallas made an emphasis just the way the Saints did as well, where don't let Kamara beat you. Well, Kamara didn't necessarily beat them, but in the fourth quarter, when when the defensive line for Dallas was getting worn down, you saw Kamara start to break a couple of big ones. Um, and that's what separates him from other running backs in this league. I also, I, I know four carries isn't impressive, but I also like the way the Saints use Latavius Murray. Get him in there, short yard situation, let him go full head of steam at the defensive line and pick up two, three yards on third and one and third and short and keep the chains moving. That's the way they should use Latavius Murray. And I'd like to see them continue increasing his role as the season goes on. Now, when we come back on Big Easy and the Big Apple, I'm going to talk about Trey Hendricks' injury and what that means for the D-line, how Marshawn Lattimore was able to lock up Amari Cooper, 
for the entire game. I'm going to answer a couple of questions you guys left me on Twitter, and I'm going to assess Teddy Bridgewater's second start with the Saints. And welcome back inside Big Easy in the Big Apple. Once again, your host, Chris Wasvoglu. And now we're in the second half of this episode. We're going to talk about Marshawn Lattimore versus Amari Cooper, the marquee matchup that everyone was talking about on that Sunday night football game. We're going to talk about um, Teddy Bridgewater, excuse me, and what he was able to do, what went well, what went wrong in his second consecutive start with the Saints. Give a little bit on Breeze's return. Talk about Trey Hendrickson. Uh, and answer a couple of questions you guys left for me on Twitter after the game. I'll get to every single one of those um, before this show ends. Now let's start off with the quick news here, more of a hard news type statement here. Trey Hendrickson suffered a neck injury last night. There was no real um, you know, confirmation on how severe it is, what's going on. Um, I'm actually currently working on it to see how he is. I'm going to try and get in a scoop on that. Um so we can have a better uh, understanding of when Trey can come back to the Saints team, if he can this season. Hopefully it wasn't too major. I think it happened when Tyron Smith had him in a you know headlock um, early in the game. I think that's really where the neck injury occurred. And of course, with the neck injury, you don't really want to rush a guy back in. It could have been precautionary, but it also could have been something serious. So wishing the best for Trey, and he has a speedy recovery um, for the Saints because they could use him. I mean, he is so good uh, for that D-line. So... You know, you really hope if anything is a short absence because when you can rotate him in there with Davenport, with Cam Jordan, with Malcolm Brown, with Sheldon Rankins, with David Onyemata, I mean, this D-line is so deep and it's really becoming the strength of the Saints team outside of obviously having number nine at quarterback when he comes back into action. Now, switch it over to another side of the defense. The secondary, Marshawn Lattimore has been taking a lot of heat from fans, from analysts saying he's not good this year, one of the worst corners. And a lot of people kept saying it's because they're playing zone. They're not letting Marshawn play up to his strength. He embraces the challenge of playing a wide receiver one. Well, how does that do for shutting down Amari Cooper? Because Marshawn Lattimore, for all the criticism he's taken the last couple of weeks, literally bottled up Cooper for the entire game. Five catches for 48 yards. It got to the point where Cooper had to continually push off of Marshawn Lattimore. He got called for offensive pass interference not once, but twice on Sunday night. Um, it just shows you how well Lattimore was playing. And it's always been Lattimore's MO. Um, when the moment's big, when things matter, he plays at his best. For example, against Philly last year in the divisional round, he's got two interceptions in that game. He rises up to the challenge. He rises to the occasion every time the Saints need him to. The question is, can Marshawn play with that fire, though, for an extended season? That is the question. Um, and you hope that he can especially next week when they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they have Mike Evans, they have Chris Cobb and so many good receivers. You hope he can do that again because if he can shut down essentially one side of the football field, it really makes the whole defense easier. You can bracket coverage the other side of the field. You can allow Marcus Williams to really play a ball hawk role. Von Bell can hover around the football. It really does open up the defense. Um, but for this one night, take away everything that happened earlier in the year, Marshawn Lattimore, rose to the challenge and he took Amari Cooper who was playing as well as any other wide receiver in football and took him out of the game and when Dak didn't have Amari 
He also didn't have enough time to go through all his reads. He was making sloppy passes to Randall Cobb. He'd have to dump it off to Jason Witten for minimal yardage. I mentioned before, Zeke had six catches. Well, guess what? When Zeke has that many amount of receptions, it's probably because the receivers for Dallas aren't open and you have Dak just checking it down, which is great news for the, the Saints defense. Now, I've talked about the D-line, talked about Marshawn Lattimore, talked about Dennis Allen and what he was able to do with his play calling, and every single facet of that Saints defense was on the money. Let's talk about that offense. Teddy Bridgewater, look, he's not going to wow you. He's not going to make a lot of throws that make you say, wow, you know, that, that's an incredible throw. But you know what Teddy Bridgewater did well yesterday um, that I think goes back to what Drew Brees told him? He had a great completion percentage, 23 of 30. So you're just under 80%. I mean, that's an insane mark in my opinion. I think, um, you know, if my math serves me well, that's a 77% completion rating. And I believe my math does serve me well on that. So 77% of his passes were complete for 193 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. Let's go back to the pick first. Let's work our way up. So Teddy rolls right. First off, I thought he did a great job moving around the pocket yesterday and using his speed because he is a quick quarterback. He's not, you know, some slow guy that, you know, is not going to be able to break a couple of runs. He, he's pretty quick. So he gets to the right. I love seeing him move out because it shows that he's gaining confidence in his knee. Throws a high ball to Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn still has it in his grasp, gets hit by Jeff Heath, drops it, turns it to a pick. Now, Look, I don't want to rip Ted Ginn, but Ted Ginn's got to come down with that ball because at the end of the day, if it's Michael Thomas, maybe if it's Traquan Smith, they're going to come down with that catch. But unfortunately, Ted Ginn Jr., who's had a, a bad reputation of not being able to finish through contact, gets hit, drops the football, turns into interception, and that's a momentum killer. And it sucks for Teddy because, you know, a guy who's pushing it down the field and doesn't like to take risks is now, you know, reminded in his head, well, you know, when I take a risk, I throw a pick. So do I want to do that? Um, so I think that does hurt the saints in that, um, aspect, the rest of the game, I thought Teddy did a good job of completing the ball and just keeping the clock rolling, um, settling for what the defense gave him. The one area where I thought he was excellent in were back shoulder throws to Michael Thomas, because what that tells you is Teddy watches Drew Brees nonstop. And he knows when Drew Brees throws a back shoulder to Michael Thomas, it's a first down every time. Mike doesn't get beat. It's an easy way of moving the chains. So Teddy's studying the film. And another thing Teddy does that you have to give him his credit for, if you're going to throw the football, throw it to your best receiver. Michael Thomas, another nine, you know, a nine catch for 95 yards. Um, that's a good game. And with Drew Brees or not Drew Brees, you're going to look at that stat line and say, you know what, Michael Thomas was targeted well. And guess what? Michael Thomas was targeted nine times. So every time that Teddy Bridgewater targeted Michael Thomas, it was a completion. And if we're going off the average, it's at least 10 yards each time, which means most of the time that's a first down. So the numbers bode well for Teddy Bridgewater when he throws to Michael Thomas. And for anyone wondering why the Saints paid him all that money, it's because of this. Because even when Drew Brees is out, Michael Thomas has a way of affecting the game. Last week, he had five catches for 50 plus yards in the touchdown. This week, nine receptions for 96, uh, 95 yards, excuse me. He still was able to have a good game against a very good defense with Byron Jones out there and a couple of decent safeties in the back end. Now, let's talk about where Teddy messed up. And I know what you guys are thinking. We're all thinking about the same play. But, ooh, I mean, taking a sack with two minutes left in the fourth quarter when you can kick a field goal and put yourself up five and force Dallas to have to score a touchdown at the end of the game is not ideal. So, Let's go through that play. It's third down. If the Saints just run the football, they're in field goal range. But, you know, Sean Payton's saying if we get the first down, the game's over. So I always commend 
Sean Payton for doing that because I think anytime you have a chance to end the game, you take it. Um, it brings me back to when the Saints played the Panthers two years ago in the playoffs. The Saints went for it on fourth down because essentially if Drew Brees got the first, the game was over. If he didn't, obviously the Panthers have life and a chance to win the football game. And Drew tells him, you know, if we get this first down, the game's over. So if you have a call you like, let's go for it. That mentality is going to carry over to every Saints game. It doesn't matter if it's a regular season game, a preseason game, or a playoff game. The Saints are going to say, if we have a chance to end it, let's do it now. It's the reason they threw in the NFC Championship game. It's the reason they threw last night. Now for Teddy Bridgewater, and it's where his inexperience comes into play, and is, you know, you got to battle that rust. You can't take that sack. Now, for everyone that ripped on Teddy, and rightfully so, because you can't take um, a, a loss of yards there, and especially the way he did, he backed them up and took them out of field goal range. Teddy immediately in his press conference said, you know, he messed up. He wishes he could take that play back, and he knows it's all on him. Sean Payton, on the other hand, is saying it's his fault. So either way, the Saints know what they need to correct um, at quarterback. You know, Teddy's not going to wow you. I told you, he's not going to make the big throws. He's not going to push the ball down the field. If you get over 200 yards passing from him, it's a good day for him. But what he does is he manages the game well, and he did it again yesterday. The Saints defense has been playing at a Chicago Bears-type level where field goals can win you games. And yesterday we saw the Saints didn't score a touchdown and they won. So no, I'm not saying Teddy deserves all the credit in the world. What Teddy's doing is keeping the game manageable. Now what he needs to stop doing is taking a sack that could end up losing them the game. Because if you take away the sack, I thought Teddy played mistake-free football. I'm not going to harp on the guy for throwing a pick when Ted Ginn Jr. bobbled it in traffic. I'm not going to harp on the guy when Josh Hill dropped an open catch that would have put them inside the, the you know the five for a first and goal opportunity, and maybe then they would have scored a touchdown. I'm not going to blame them for that. I will blame him for taking a sack, and I will blame him for not being aware enough to say, you know, I can't keep backing up and losing these yards and pushing us out of field goal range. You know, that hurts. Um, but overall, like I said, Teddy did what he needed to do. He managed the game. Just got to, you know, eliminate those negative plays because it could cost you down the road. Now, luckily for the Saints, they're two weeks done with this Drew Brees absence. And that brings me on to my next point. When does Drew come back? Um, if you watch him during the game, I mean, pregame, warming up, he looks like he's ready to go because that's Drew Brees. Um, you can't keep him out for long. He's going to attack his rehab the way he attacks opposing defenses. And any second he has or any chance he has to work on that thumb, strengthen that thumb, build up a pain tolerance for it, he's going to take it. I mean, even during the game, he's sitting there watching him getting ready to help the offense, and he's sitting there moving around his thumb. He's getting it. He's flexing it. Drew Brees will not be out for much longer. Let's call it what it is. If he misses, you, you know how much more time he's going to miss? He's going to miss three more games. I'm going to say it for now because people keep saying wait until the bye, wait until the bye, and part of me agrees with that. There's also another side to me that says, you know what? If Drew's ready for that Arizona game, you play him because when Drew Brees is in against Arizona, you're going to win that game. And why give up the chance to take a win for another week of rest when you know you have the bye week? And if Drew Brees says he's ready, you need to trust Drew Brees if he says he's ready. Um, so I think that's when he's going to come back. I thought it was going to be after the bye. I think I'm going to be wrong. And Drew will have a chance to come back before the bye, test out that thumb, and then he'll have two weeks to prepare and fix whatever he thought didn't feel right on that uh, on that first return. So that's when I think he's going to come back. And for Teddy, it's about holding the fort down for the next three games, which are Bucks, Jaguars, Bears. If he wins two out of those three games, Teddy Bridgewater did his job. That would mean four wins in the Drew Brees' absence. You couldn't ask for more. You couldn't. 
I said, can you get three wins minimum in the Drew absence? And people were, you know, crying and complaining. I don't know if we could do it. He just needs one more to get the three. And anything after that is icing on the cake for a Saints team that will be in the hunt for this NFC South. And if they win next Sunday, we'll have a two-game lead, depending on how the Panthers play, a two-game lead in the NFC South. And if they got a two-game lead without Drew Brees, imagine what they could build off when they get number nine back. So I think Drew Brees returns at that Arizona game. I know that sounds crazy, um, but it, it kind of looks like it's trending in that direction. Now, before I end today's show, I'm going to go through those questions you guys left me, and we're going to get through every single one um, because you guys left some good ones. Now, for the first one, uh, Jack asked, why the de- while the defense was great, any answer for what could happen to the offensive line after those holding penalties? Now, I'm going to guess, just looking through most of these questions, a lot of them are going to be about the offensive holding. So let me just get through this and, and make a big answer for that. Um, and if I see any questions like that, I'll just repeat that. Um, answer, but first week of the season, the Saints had seven seven penalties. Next week, they had 11. Following week, 11. This week, they had um, nine penalties. So, look, yeah, the number went down by two in this game, but too many offensive holding calls. Andrews Pete, not sharp. Teron Armstead missed a snap count um, on one. So when that, you know, people complained about Teddy taking a sack at one point in the game in the fourth quarter, uh, Teron Armstead literally just didn't get the snap count, didn't hear it. So Teddy snapped it and Deron Armstead just lets Robert Quinn blow by him. So that's really what, what happened on that play um, there for that offensive line problem. I know there's issues, and part of me thinks it's communication issues. Part of me thinks, you know, not having Drew Brees, the offensive line is going through a little bit of a growing, you know, growing pains. They're going through a learning process with Teddy B. Another part of me says, you know what? I'm going to give respect to Dallas, though. Dallas has a good defensive line anchored by two amazing defensive ends in Demarcus Lawrence and Robert Quinn. So if I'm going to split it, I'm going to say 25% of the blame is because, you know, the Cowboys D-line did their job. I'll say another 25% is just the quarterback change and having communication issues. And I think the other 50% goes down to this coaching staff is going to have to help them out. Because remember, you got outside of Ramcheck, an O-line that's not playing that well. Um, you got a young rookie center who's showing good flashes, but he's still learning on the fly. Teron Armstead hasn't been at his best yet in pass protection. And Andrew Speed has just not been good at all, uh, whether it's run blocking or pass blocking. He's going to need to get that sorted out. Um, but I trust Sean Payton. He said after the game, I promise you these mistakes will get fixed. And granted, offensive holding are killers. We need to remember as a league in its whole and its entirety, Offensive holding is being called 15% more than it was last year. That's a big number. So it's going to affect offensive lines across the league. Now, the Saints are so talented up front, you want them to eliminate it. But just remember, offensive holding is being called 15% more in this, you know, through the first first four weeks of the season, excuse me. And that's a big reason for why the Saints are struggling. Um, I know it's it's scary right now, but if you're going to trust a unit, trust the Saints unit. Um, trust what they're able to do. And while their pass blocking hasn't been great, we've seen holding calls. Just remember that's the same offensive line that basically bullied the Cowboys um, towards the end of that game and were able to keep the clock moving and run all the way down into their territory before Teddy Bridgewater took the sack. Now, next question, can Breeze make the offense look better than Teddy or are these penalties too much to overcome for himself? Um, Look, I think Breeze will obviously make this offense look better. I I think Teddy right now, like I said, he's kind of playing that game manager role. Um, 
and it's going to be you know tough for him to make plays down the field like Drew can. So I think when Drew comes back, you're looking at an offense that isn't you know elite like the Kansas City Chiefs, but one that's going to be putting up 25 to 30 points a game. And what Drew's able to do that Teddy doesn't do as well is Drew gets the ball out quick. So a lot of these offensive holding calls aren't gonna be aren't gonna happen when Drew gets out the ball out quick because the offensive line is only holding is only you know protecting for a second or two. If Teddy's sitting back there for three five seconds, yeah, and you know you can see the holding happening. But when Drew gets it out so quick, and he always does, offensive holding is not gonna happen as much. So I think this offense, when Drew gets back, is gonna be significantly better. I'm not worried about that in any capacity. Next up, Brad asked, which one of the next four games will give us the most trouble? You know, I'm going to say the Tampa Bay game this Sunday is going to give them the most trouble for two reasons. One, divisional games, always close. And two, the wide receivers on the Bucs scare the crap out of me. I mean, not only do they have Mike Evans, they have maybe the best wide receiver, too, in football, Chris Godwin, who gashed the Rams yesterday. I'm talking about absolutely exploited them. He had double-digit receptions. He absolutely lit up that Rams secondary. Um, and I think he can do the same against Eli Apple, which means Eli Apple is going to be put on notice to have a big game on Sunday against the Bucks. So out of the four, I'll say Bucks because although the Jaguars are riding that Minshew mania magic, they're a beatable team. Chicago Bears are that that game, that Chicago Bears game is going to come down to who forces more turnovers. I mean, that's going to be defensive fl- uh, slugfest. I'll tell you from now. Um, and the Arizona game, Arizona's just not a good football team. Kyler Murray's elusive. I get that, but he's a rookie quarterback, so you'll force him into some mistakes, especially in the dome. Uh, so I think the Saints will be fine there against Arizona. So I'm going to say the Tampa Bay game this Sunday is the you know the one that will give them the most trouble. Next up, Matthew said, "Can we admit, as a Saints fan, as a Saints nation, that Bridgewater's just an average game manager? Works not works now, but not our future." So here's how I see Teddy B. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Why do I say that? There's 32 starting quarterbacks, and about a good 10 of them aren't even any decent. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is better than Andy Dalton. He's better than Eli Manning. He's better than Case Keenum. He's better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, better than Josh Rosen. Um, You can make a case that he's better than a guy like Josh Allen, Mason Rudolph. Make a case that he's better, or you'd rather have him than Derek Carr because Derek Carr makes mistakes. So I'm not saying Teddy Bridgewater is a good quarterback, but what I'm saying is there's a lot of quarterbacks out there starting that are worse than Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, that's the truth. It is. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky gets all the love in the world, and Mitchell Trubisky is not a good quarterback, whereas Bridgewater, at least I know he's not going to make mistakes. So, yeah, he's a game manager, but let's call it what it is. He manages the game, but you can still win football games like that. Do I think he's the future of the Saints offense? Probably not. Um, I think at the end of the day, the Saints knew what they had in Teddy, a guy who is good enough to win you games if your 40-year-old quarterback went down with an injury, keep the team afloat for when Drew Brees comes back, and that's what he's done. And if that means Teddy's going to walk in the offseason, so be it. Good for him. He's done an amazing job, and he's a big part of this football team. If the Saints go on, and I know I'm looking down the road, and, I, and I'm just saying this hypothetically speaking, if the Saints go on to win a Super Bowl this year, they're going to look back at these two games that Teddy Bridgewater was able to help the team win and say, you know what? Without Teddy B, this doesn't happen. They don't got Bridgewater the Saints to win a Super Bowl. So it all works out well. And no, he probably isn't the future of the Saints team, but let's give him some credit in the fact that he's managed the games well, hasn't made many mistakes. The only mistake he really made was that sack yesterday. Um, and he's doing his job, which is don't force turnovers. Let your defense work, run the football, and take your throws when they're there. And that's what he's done. So I got to give Teddy Bridgewater his credit on that. 
Next up, Jackson asks, what's the solution for our Pete problem, and how can we straighten up these penalties? We aren't helping Teddy out. So, Jackson, like I said before, I think it kind of works both ways. I think Teddy's holding on to the ball pretty long. Um, and I think the offense is still getting adjusted to having a new quarterback. You know, if you're changing the snap count, if he wants the offense run a certain way, if he's not getting the ball as quick out as Drew Brees, I think that hurts. As for Pete, look, I agree with you. Andrews Pete's been a big issue. He's not, he hasn't played that well. Um, I think last night he played a little bit better than he has against the Rams um, and against the Seahawks, but he did not look that great. So I think the Saints are going to have to figure out how they're going to get Andrews Pete um, to minimize those mistakes. But the Saints are going to get better as the season goes on. Remember, we're a quarter through the season. There's so much football left. I think the Saints offensive line are going to be fine. As for Andrews Pete, though, look, he's the weakest link from our O-line. Let's call it what it is. You're going to have to just work, you know, just going to figure out how to minimize and limit his holding calls throughout the game. Now, uh, we have another question that says, we didn't have these O-line penalties with Breeze. Is that is it the O-line or is it Teddy giving the plays in the huddle uh, or his cadence? Look, again, I knew it was going to be a lot of O-line questions. It hasn't looked good. I'm going to repeat it last time. I think it's part not having Breeze, part of Bridgewater holding the ball a little bit too long, and just part playing good defense. Let's give the you know Cowboys D-line respect. Give the Seahawks D-line respect. You got Clowney on, you know, one team with Ziggy Ansah, and then you got Demarcus Lawrence with Robert Quinn on the Cowboys. So, I mean, it's a good team. It's a really good Cowboys team. Uh, but, yeah, the, def- the offensive line needs to get better, and they will as the season goes on. Then we got another question. Do you feel the officiating was fair? I thought it was pretty even this week. Definitely improved. Yeah, look, I actually thought officiating was pretty good last night. They picked up an OPI call that they were going to say on a pick route. They didn't call it. They took the flag back. I was very impressed by that. Um, the fumble actually went in the team's favor. Looking back at it, it wasn't a clear fumble, but the original ruling helped because it wasn't conclusive. Um, I have one issue with officiating, and that's it. I'm going to just say it. It's consistency. If Dak Prescott slides late and gets hit, and it's a flag on the Saints, but Teddy Bridgewater slides early and gets hit, but it's not a flag on the Cowboys, how does that make sense? Um, I I guess that's my question for the officiating is, be better and be more consistent more than anything. Just throw a flag for both and don't throw a flag for either. Uh, because if they actually threw a flag on that play, the drive gets extended. The Saints actually have a first and goal, and you never know. That could turn into points. So I think that's a big call. Whereas the Saints, they don't call that penalty on Dak. They don't get into field goal range most likely. So, look, it works both ways and affects the score. Um, just be more consistent. That's all I'm asking the refs. So let's hope that um, they can figure that out. Now, Next up, last question from Adam. The Cowboys were a good test, but the Buccaneers definitely turned heads in their week, in their win against LA. Teddy's going to have to change his uh, change up his game for this one. The Bucs are going to key on AK. Who will be this week's go-to? So actually, honestly, Adam, I still think Alvin Kamara. I know the Bucs are going to key in him, key in on him. Excuse me. I think Alvin Kamara is still going to have a big game against the Bucs. He always does. And I know the Bucs drafted Devin White to fix that problem and great LSU linebacker. You guys know how good he can be. They lost Quan Alexander, who I thought was actually pretty decent against Alvin Kamara for the Buccaneers. That's a big loss. They haven't done that well against running back. Saquon Barkley was doing well until he got hurt. Todd Gurley actually had his best game of the season yesterday against Tampa Bay. Um, I think Kamara is still going to be really good next week, and I don't think they have a corner that can shut down Michael Thomas. I think what it comes down to next week, and I'm going to wrap it up with this you know, brief little discussion here. I'll talk about the Bucs game later in the week, probably around Thursday slash Friday. Play your game. Slow down the Bucs. The Bucs don't want to play ugly. They don't. They want to throw that football all around, all around the field and they want to make it a shootout. If the Saints control the tempo, 
They play ugly. They run the football. They let Teddy, you know, dink and dunk his way to first downs. Saints are going to have a good chance of winning that football game and improving to 4-1. Um, but I'm going to say this. Who's the week to go to? I still think it's Alvin Kamara because until the Bucs prove they can stop him, it doesn't matter if they zero in on him. You could zero in on a player all you want. If you can't stop him, you can't stop him. The Seahawks, I guarantee you, zeroed in on Alvin Kamara two weeks ago. And what happened? He killed them. 150-plus scrimmage yards. So I'm not worried about Kamara and what this team's going to do. I think they're going to be just fine. And the Saints are going to continue to um, find enough success with AK to keep this ball rolling while Drew Brees is out. But that's going to do it for us on this episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy your victory Monday after the Saints were able to shock the Cowboys. And enjoy the rest of your week and stay tuned for an episode later on around Friday morning as I preview the Saints-Buccaneers matchup and go through all the X's and O's. But once again, thank you for listening, guys, and have a great rest of the Monday.